0: Hello everyone, I'm Phil Dickens and this is From the Hill of Megiddo, the podcast serialisation of my bulk of the same name In the last episode, we discovered that six of seven seals had been broken to bring about Armageddon and found creatures who were something other than human fleeing from the hatred of their own kind So let's see what happens in the next three chapters Chapter 15 Holly had expected to be taken to a police station Instead, she found herself at a tall building with three wings protruding from the central tower, called Cyclades House. The suited men she had assumed to be playing clothes police led her and the others through to the lifts and up to the ninth floor. Each of them was then placed in a separate room, just big enough for a table with a chair on either side, and told that somebody would be with them shortly. She sat down, but found herself unable to stay still for longer than several seconds. Standing up again, she paced in what little space she had. Where was she? Who were these people who had taken them in, if not police? She had to know. And yet these questions were dwarfed by much greater ones. Starting with what those bodies were. She had found them on the same night she had learned that vampires were real. And yet they weren't vampires. What were they? What else existed that she hadn't even contemplated could possibly be real? The door opened and a young woman stepped inside. From the look of her, she probably wasn't even twenty, though she was pretty. Athletic build, wavy red hair, and a pale, freckled face. She smiled, looked almost apologetic as she closed the door behind her. I am Hazel, she said. Sorry about all of this. I know it must have been a hell of a night. Holly scoffed. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. Hazel hesitated, blushing. I know, it's, it's hard to know what the right thing to say is. But we need to get to the bottom of what happened last night Or we wouldn't have put you up through it all again Holly's throat grew tight And she struggled to swallow through it They were children She said Her voice getting shakier But not human were they? Hazel shook her head That's I'm not going to tell anybody If that's what you're worried about Even if I did What does it matter the pictures are already all over the internet. People are already claiming that they're aliens, mutants, victims of government super-soldier experiments. If I said anything, my voice would just be another in the chorus of cranks. So why can't you just give me a bit of peace and tell me? She ran out of steam when she saw how taken aback Hazel looked at her tirade, and she deflated somewhat. Sorry, I just... the demons, Hazel said. Surely she had misheard that. Oh, she was being mocked. I'm sorry. What? Demons? I mean, technically. They don't possess people or live forever or have powers or anything. They're just people. But they're demons. Great. First vampires, now demons. She put both her hands on her head and looked straight into Hazel's eyes. Please tell me that this isn't happening. That I've gone mental or something. Hazel gave her a sympathetic look but could only shrug. Sorry, that's... Wait, how do you know about vampires? The rumbling of the car engine was getting closer. Peter pushed his sister back behind the bush and ducked down with her. It sped by and when he popped his head up again the street was empty once more. It was beginning to get light, however and they needed to keep moving. I don't like this, Peter. Becky's voice raised to a whine on his name. I want to go home. I know, but we can't. It's not safe there anymore. He took her hand and led her down the road. Why did the lizard man want to hurt people? What's a half-breed? We are... The lizard man doesn't like humans, so he wants to hurt anybody who's mummy or daddy are human. That's mean, she said in a tiny, scared voice. Where are we going? He sighed. He was looking up at him, and he reached out and poked the tip of the spike at the end of her nose, lasting in a ridge running down from her brow. She wrinkled her nose. Somewhere safe, he said, since it sounded better than, I don't know. After stretching, Miles let himself inside Lydia's house. His hair was matted to his head, his skin slick with sweat so that his running gear clung to him, and his body radiating heat. He put his hand over his chest and felt his heart hammering. "'Weird,' he said. "'What's weird?' Lydia asked as she came out into the hall wearing only a vest top and knickers. He felt a smile spread over his face when he saw her and she returned it with a grin full of wicked intent. Hmm. well don't you look sexy?' Miles raised his eyebrows. "'Really?' he shrugged. "'Well, I imagine that's cancelled out by the smell.' "'Well, it's an acquired taste.' She wrinkled her nose and laughed. Anyway, you never told me what was weird. Oh, yeah, my heart's racing. It usually happens when you've been running. Yeah, and my breathing quickens too. Except that I don't need to breathe and I don't have a pulse. Not normally, anyway. Which means all he could do was shrug. Why worry then? It's probably just part of our vampire's work. Now go get a shower, you smelly meth. She slapped him on the backside as he went past, and he found himself grinning. Why had he found it so hard to strike up conversations with her? Had he really managed to get to this point where he was completely at ease around her so quickly? It still wasn't quite real. Maybe it was a dream that could be shattered at any moment by waking, and yet it was near impossible to imagine anything else. He looked back down the stairs, where she was still looking up towards him, and winked. His stomach was fluttering. Once he was showered and dressed, he found Lydia making scrambled eggs in the kitchen while Sarah stared at the television in the living room. Miles put his arms around Lydia and kissed her tenderly on the neck. She sighed and then turned her head to kiss him on the lips. If we get frisky, I'll burn the eggs, she said. There are always more eggs. He pulled her close and kissed her again. She laughed, then pushed him away. Come on, let me get her fed and take her to the nursery. Then we can Sarah let out a cry in the other room, and Lydia almost knocked the pan over in a rush to go and see what was wrong. Miles turned off the heat before following after her. Honey, what's wrong? The little girl ran over and buried her head in her mum's skirt, still bawling loudly. Other than the crying, she appeared unhurt, and nothing looked out of place in the room. Lydia and Miles shared a look. Sarah, what's the matter? After a moment, she sniffed and looked up at them. Then she pointed at the television. The news was on, playing what looked like shaky camera phone footage of a city at night. Something was on fire nearby, and there were several bodies lying on the ground. It took Miles several moments to realise that the faces were not human. their skin-unusual colours and textures, and most of them with horns. Bad men do... The little girl said. Dinosaur man hurt people? Lydia shot Miles a look. Miles crouched by Sarah. Daz? Who's the dinosaur man? The little girl shook her head vehemently. He gave her arm a gentle squeeze. It's okay. I won't let him hurt you. I promise. She bit her lip thoughtfully, then stepped closer to him and opened her arms. He took hold of her and stood up cradling her in one arm against his side. Oof, you're a little puddin', aren't you? little puddin', she agreed. Come on then, you want to tell me who the Dinosaur Man is? She thought for a few moments longer, then said, Dinosaur Man bad? He hurt people? Pointing to the television. Hurted the Half-Bloods? Another sharp look from Lydia. Half-Bloods? Miles asked. Yep, Sarah said, as if no further explanation was required. Some run away. They're hiding. Need help? There were several long moments of silence. Then Lydia shook her head. She's making it all up. She saw the news report and her imagination filled in the blanks. It has to be. Except for the term half-bloods. Not to mention the very specific bad dream she had a little while back. I'm starting to believe phrases like, that can't be real, are becoming redundant. Okay. Lydia's face suggested that she was far from okay with or accepting of any of what they were discussing. So what does it mean? How do we find out what's wrong with my daughter? Nothing's wrong with her. But as it happens, we do know someone who's a little bit psychic. Sarah kicked and struggled and cried when she was put into her pram. She carried on crying for several more minutes until, out of nowhere, she stopped, leaned forward, and pointed. Bus, she declared as the bus went past. green bus. She then proceeded to babble to herself about the bus and point out other buses and trucks, indicating that the tantrum was all but forgotten. At Cyclade's house, she did struggle again when they stopped at reception to show their credentials. Out, please! Out, please! though she was calm again by the time they were riding in the lift upwards. Are you sure about this? Lydia asked Miles. Just him taking her hand and kissing her forehead made her feel a little calmer. It was as though his own demeanour was infectious. The worst that can happen is Puth can't tell us anything about what she saw. Then we're exactly where we are now. I guess. Sarah picked up on the unusual word Puth, but couldn't pronounce it. Pith, he said. Pith. Lydia shook her head. You know what that sounds like? She could already hear Cassie's lecture about not swearing in front of the baby. But before she had to enjoy that particular delight, there were other things to worry about. With and Anil met them outside the gym, and they went to an empty room. All it contained was a desk and several chairs. No specialist equipment. Not that there was any reason it should. Being psychic was all about your mind. And yet Lydia had still conjured up images of sharp things probing into her little girl's head to extract the truth. Absurd. But then, she was apparently seeing things in her head before they happened. So what was absurd? Out, please, Sarah declared again. So this time, Miles obliged by hunkering in front of her and pressing the button to release her straps. Immediately, she bounded to her feet and ran towards the other end of the room. he, Lydia called. Her daughter looked back, giggled, and hid behind the desk. Lydia sighed, though laughing. She's adorable, Aniel said. She looked at Miles. I had no idea you had a kid. I don't. He shook his head and nodded at Lydia. Oh, right. Was she relieved? What's up? Lydia asked. Miles crept around the opposite side of the desk and grabbed Sarah from behind, letting out a playful roar as he did. Sarah squealed, but then leaned into his shoulder once he was holding her. Oh, nothing. It's just... Well, none of the other champions had any children either. Is that a rule? No, of course not. But... Perils of the job, Miles interjected. Not a long enough lifespan to reproduce... But then, I'm immortal, so..." He trailed off, looking first at Sarah, then following her line of sight to Anil. "...I think you've got a fan." "...Shiny?" Sarah said, earning laughter. "...Shiny and loud? bells. Lydia looked at Anil and shrugged, but then she noticed that Miles had a frown on his face. He caught her looking at him, and shook his head and cleared his throat but something about what Sarah had said had bothered him. Come on then, he said. What do we need to do? Nothing, Puth said. When he stepped closer, Sarah looked at him. Hello, Sarah. That aimed him a toothy grin. Mmm. What? Lydia asked. He'd sensed something wrong. Her baby was hurt somehow, maybe mentally, and she'd always be plagued by... Oh, it's... Just that she's got some mental barriers set up that are stopping me from reading her. Crude, but quite strong. How strong? I could get through them, but I'd rather not push through them uninvited. Sarah? Sarah? Can you see me? She frowned and pointed at him, giving him a look as if to say he was being stupid. He smiled. He stepped forward and pressed two fingers to the side of her forehead. Now can you see me? She carried on looking at him for a second before her eyes rolled back in her head and her hands dropped limp at her side. Lydia tensed up. "What have you done?" It's okay. I needed to speak to her subconscious mind because her conscious mind doesn't understand what she's experiencing. All I'm doing is asking her permission to have a look at some of her memories. There we are. She's let me in." Lydia put her hand over her mouth, not daring to take her eyes off her daughter. Miles reached out to her with his free hand, and when she saw it, she grabbed and squeezed. Okay. Ruth took his hand away from Sarah's head, and she stared as if waking up from a long nap. She rubbed her eyes and looked around till she saw Lydia, at which point she stuck her arms out and made grabbing motions. Miles passed her over. Are you okay, baby? Lydia asked. Sarah stuck her tongue out and blew a raspberry, then giggled. I'll take that as a yes. She's absolutely fine. I think she's a seer though Puth looked at Anil I haven't encountered a seer since he trailed off I know nor have I Anil agreed what's that? what's a seer? Lydia asked her heart rate was rising again what was wrong with her daughter? it's someone who can witness events without actually being there Puth said so if they're far away or in the past or the future ''You mean the psychic then?'' Miles asked. ''No. Psychic is a broad term, but all the stuff it encompasses. Reading minds, reading emotions, moving things with your mind. That can be innate, but it can be learned if you've got the right mental skills and potential. This can't be taught, and as an innate gift it's extremely rare. The only other one I ever knew was a redhead as well. There was a threat of tears in his eyes as he spoke.'' Lydia smiled. Though she didn't feel any more comfortable about this. She glanced at Sarah, who was idly running her hand through Lydia's hair, then at an and Pooth. So, what do I need to do? Just raise your daughter, Anil said. There's nothing special you need to do, besides paying attention to what she sees and helping her to deal with it. That's all you can do. Lydia bit her lip. She looked at Sarah and forced a smile when the baby grinned at her and giggled, but her stomach was in turmoil. How often would a little girl be assaulted by these visions? Were they there for the rest of her life? Would they hurt her? Scare her? Traumatise her? Worse, would they drive her mad? Sarah didn't deserve this. Miles moved closer and put his hands on his shoulders, kissing her on the neck. All the tension slaked off her. More when Sarah reached out and put her hand over Miles's, then made kissing motions at Lydia. Lydia kissed her daughter and now the smile wasn't forced. Maybe it wouldn't be too bad. Maybe. What did she see? Miles asked. Let me get started in the crash first, Lydia said. Good idea, both agreed. Better to tell everyone together. Sarah very quickly forgot all about her dreams once she was in the presence of other kids. There were toys everywhere, and there was lots of squealing and running about. She hardly even spared her mother a second glance and soon it was like Lydia wasn't even there at all. Lydia felt a rush of warmth as Miles put his arms around her and a thrill run up her neck when he kissed her, but it couldn't distract her from the fluttering in the pit of her stomach as she watched her daughter wave a toy truck about and chase her young boy around the crash. They were safe enough here, the women looking after them all perfectly competent and qualified, but it gave Lydia no comfort. "'I don't want to go up there,' she said. "'You can go without me.' "'Lid, come on. She's going to be fine.' Her shoulders slumped and she turned to look at Miles. Really? She's got this... This thing forever, hasn't she? We've no idea how it's going to affect her. You know what I mean. I do, but... You're only going to wind yourself up more if you stay here. She sighed. Fine. Mood I'm in, though. I might just lamp Hazel if she keeps giving you evils. He grinned and kissed her. I'd expect nothing less. The screen mounted on the far wall of the boardroom displayed two pictures side by side. One was a weathered-looking sketch of a creature whose head was human in shape but with reptilian features, elliptical pupils in eyes set towards the side of his head, nose little more than a bump on his face with slits for nostrils, teeth like daggers. The photo of a similar creature was blurry, though it showed that the skin was a coppery-brown colour. "'They're called gelacross. Joe told the room essentially just another species of lower demon, but they tend to view themselves as something special. They're fanatics. They look down on the other species of demons and have particular disdain for any with human heritage. Our floods. That fanaticism has now apparently manifested in mass slaughter. Ugly bastards, Kit muttered, making Jess grin. She put a hand on his leg and traced a finger up his inner thigh, making him shift in his seat. Her face grew serious. They're doing this to build up an army, aren't they? Get as many demons as possible to declare for them and get rid of any that they view as impure. All in time for the seventh seal to break. Right. We need to find any survivors as soon as possible then and reach out to any who might not be convinced by the fanatics, Miles said. Yeah, all right, Hazel muttered. What? Do you really think we have the time or the resources for that? Oh well, just discovered the demons are real. How long do you reckon it is before they move on from YouTube videos and conspiracy theories to actually finding out where they're hiding? If we don't act, we'll have riots and all sorts to worry about alongside the impending threat of Armageddon. Hazel stood up. It wasn't done suddenly or aggressively, but she moved closer to Miles, which was enough to prompt Jess to get up and move around the table. Miles stood up too. What? Do you actually disagree with what I'm saying? Hazel opened her mouth, then closed it again. She pointed at him, finally, and said, "'We don't need you here to figure this out.' "'Hazel, come on. This is a bit silly.' Joel's voice was quiet enough that it hardly carried. He fell silent when she glared at him. "'Look, the point is that we can't just ignore this, right?' Miles said, hands raised at his sides. "'Yeah, but who put you in charge?' Nobody? I'm just making a suggestion. Hazel opened her mouth to reply, but as she did Jess stepped between them. She shoved Miles hard in the chest, making him take two steps back, then put her hands on Hazel's shoulders and walked her backwards until she was against the wall. Listen, love. Jess's voice was perfectly calm. I don't know what your problem with our kid is, and I don't care. You're going to get over it, or you're going to bury it, but either way, it's not going to interrupt this meeting again. Got it. She could see Hazel clenching her fists at her side. Let's try it. I've seen your technique. Whatever super strength you've got, I've been fighting a lot longer than you, and I'm betting I could wipe the floor with you. But that's not why we're here, is it? Hazel lowered her eyes and unclenched her fists. Good. Now where were we? Several moments of silence followed, with nobody quite sure where to look. Jack stood up and cleared his throat. Okay. What Miles has suggested makes sense. We've just kind of been lurching from crisis to crisis. First the vampire murders, then the multitude, then wolves, now the demons. This at least allows us to do something proactive and maybe get off the back foot. Jess released Hazel and took a step back. The other woman was still looking at Miles, but now it looked as though her mind was very far away. Her eyes were glistening. This can't have been anything to do with Miles as an individual. What was it? What had happened to her? Jess decided that she needed to find out. Toby's parents had been dead for two days, yet still he couldn't bring himself to move them. The others had been understanding, particularly Rachel. She knew, when she ran a finger across the crest on the top of his head, or took his hand in hers, how to make him smile despite himself. She held his hand now. I know it's hard, Toby, it's doing them no good to leave them like that further down the tunnel there was a fire silhouettes of the rest of the group danced off the cold stone of the walls he looked the other way further away from the ramp up to the garage at his parents corpses I know still holding Rachel's hand he took several steps closer to the bodies they were holding hands too sitting upright against the wall the smiles on their faces now more macabre than serene Even in the low light from the fire, he could see the black smudges where the wounds that killed them had congealed against their clothes. He closed his eyes, squeezed Rachel's hand a little tighter. She kissed him on the cheek. He took a deep breath. Okay. The pyre was already set up. It was just a case of getting the bodies onto it. He grunted, sweated and heaved, but eventually managed it. He pulled his father's crest until it was splayed and upright and put their hands together. Then he lit the torch and put it to the pyre. From the flames of death, he recited, erupt new life, forged in hell, free upon earth, undying in heaven, and bright, forever. Tears ran down his cheeks. He made no move to wipe them away, only watched the flames grow and dance. He didn't know how long had passed before he became aware of the others around him. Thankfully, nobody tried to offer words of comfort, but Ben offered him a bottle of rum and he smiled hours later they were all sat around the fire at the other end of the tunnel Rachel was snoring softly on his shoulder bottles were scattered everywhere he had stopped toking on the joints that came around the circle instead passing them straight on his chest fell tight and his throat raw but his head was swimming rather pleasantly you gotta admit mate Ben slurred at him this isn't too shabby we got lucky Tommy said if the garage that leads down to these tunnels wasn't abandoned, or if it hadn't been so well stocked it was? yeah, so we get to stay baked until we're hunted out and killed nah, mate Ellen turned around from the conversation she was having so, we got away from the lizard freak's crusade, we're safe we got away from him we didn't get away from the war that's coming if the demons win, they'll overrun the earth and there'll be nowhere half-breeds like us can hide If they're defeated, well, there's no way humans will leave us be. Even the guild and the like will probably turn against us because of that bastard, Jillacross. We need to go to the guild. Offer to stand with them. Toby jumped at Rachel's voice as she lifted her head off his shoulder. Ben laughed, the sound getting higher until he doubled over in a fit of giggles. Rach, Toby said. We're not fighters. It doesn't matter. We won't survive a demon victory, sure. But if the humans win and we can say that we stood with them, then we can't be blamed. Plus, if humans know about demons now because of all this, then we won't have to hide anymore. Babe, I think you're underestimating the human talent for bigotry. Nah, she's got a point. Ellen said. What have we got to lose? Our dark tunnel? Toby sighed. Okay, sure. But how do we side with the guild? How do we even find them? Details... We can leave that till we're sober. There were grins and laughs all around. In the darkness underneath the city, the small group of half breed demons continued to smoke and drink until their fire burned down to embers. Chapter 16 Taylor's dog, a two year old German shepherd called Nikita, bared its teeth when it first saw Miles and growled. This immediately put the entire group on edge. You could smell their fear and see their distrust on their faces. He had to force himself not to react, to relax his shoulders and adopt an open stance. He took a knee and reached out to the animal. Nikita took two tentative steps forward, teeth bared. She sniffed at his open palm, then after the first sniff was apparently satisfactory, she pressed a cold nose against his skin. More sniffs, then several licks. Finally, Miles shifted his hand to stroke first her snout, then her head, finally scratching behind her ears. This was enough for the dog to sit and kick her back leg in time with Miles' scratching. When he stood up, Nikita was looking at him with her head tilted as though asking why the scratches had stopped, but Taylor and the rest of her group were still looking at him the same way. You're still... She hesitated, perhaps searching for the right word. Myself? Miles offered. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah does that mean others can uh, do that he shook his head slowly I don't think so right he saw tears well in Taylor's eyes but she blinked them away and her expression hardened okay then should we get this over with they were a short distance out of the city centre outside the Kumba Imani Millennium Centre at the far end of Prince's Road from Prince's Park Just behind, on Upper Stanhope Street, stood a derelict public house with its windows boarded up with wooden and metal boards, graffiti and general appearance indicating that it had lain empty for years, if not decades. A crowd was gathered around it, several small clusters of children, a larger mob of teenagers and a couple of adults, largely middle-aged men. Their various conversations collected into a low buzz, punctuated occasionally by the shouting of louder individuals everyone was either staring at the pub or kept shooting glances at it. But for now, none of them did anything as though waiting for someone else to make the first move. Yeah, this is going to be a mess, Taylor muttered as they approached the crowd, drawing looks from those already gathered. Miles wandered over to the nearest group, older teenage boys all on bikes, all but posing with the cigarettes in their hand and with an almost tangible scent of weed and body odour around them. Hopefully it was just his heightened senses that made them smell so bad. What's going on? He asked. Lad, them aliens off the news, lad. One of them said. They're not aliens, lad. They're mutants, lad. Another cut in. Lad, shut up, there. Miles held his hand up to cut off the arguments. Then in there? He pointed to the board of the pub. When they all nodded, he said. Oh, right. Then he walked away before they could say any more. If I had to guess, Taylor said, most of them are here to gawk, get a look at whatever they think these people are, but there are a good few who fancy a fight, and it'll be very easy for them to drag the rest along with them if anything does kick off. So what do we do? Asked Mio. She was a short, slight Japanese woman with spiky pink hair who had a seemingly permanent scowl on her face. If I can get in there, maybe around the back, I'll know what we're dealing with. Miles said I wasn't asking you Vamp Taylor glanced at Miles then turned her attention back to Mio and the rest of the group He's right Mio in particular gave him a dirty look for that If he can get in we might as well use him We can keep an eye on the crowd out here in case anything happens And do what? We're not riot cops Mio said before adding, Surprised they haven't turned up actually Miles' skin prickled and he felt a presence looming at his side oh they will a young female voice said from that same direction once the fighting starts he saw Taylor stiffen and turn to face another black woman a little younger than her slim curvy body, scantily clad dark hair styled into cornrows pretty face, dead "Ass," Taylor's voice was little more than a whisper the vampire smiled and for just a moment her eyes flashed red she mouthed the kiss at Taylor then looked miles up and down you're him then The good one. Those two words were laced with such scorn. What a waste. You look like you'd be so much more fun if you were bad. She traced a finger down his chest, then stepped closer to Taylor. There were tears in her eyes, and her fists were clenched, though otherwise she didn't appear to be able to move. And you, my love? I think you'd much prefer it on our side of the line. She took Taylor's face in both hands and kissed her passionately, ever so delicately tugging at her bottom lip with her teeth. Miles cast about. Nobody else was looking. They were still talking among themselves, all looking at the pub, waiting for something to happen, utterly oblivious to the real threat in their midst. The rest of Taylor's group watched the kiss, but they were unable to move. Miles grabbed Tessa's shoulder and dragged it back. This snapped Taylor and her friends out of their trance. The vampire tried to shrug free, but Miles' grip was too strong. A grin faltered less than a second before growing stronger. You're going to kill me in front of so many witnesses? Such a mess. Miles gritted his teeth. What do you want? Just to see. I'm just an observer here. There! Someone shouted. Look! And the real show is about to begin. The whole crowd stared. Miles, Taylor and the rest of the group turned to see what the commotion was about. From here it wasn't possible to make anything out beyond the mass of people which was already surging forward. In that moment, Miles felt Tass managed to get free. When he glanced back, she was gone. But by then, there were more pressing things to worry about. Where are we going, Peter? Becky asked them as they made their way along the road. Peter continually glanced around, trying to reassure himself that the streets were empty. But he was too twitchy. Every sound made his stomach lurch. The car engine in the distance, the bark of a dog, a gust of wind, once even a cat skittering past them. Peter? A shelter? We're going to a shelter. Who's in the shelter? I don't know, but they can help us. When they reached the address, he had scrawled on a tiny piece of paper, scrunched up in his pocket. However, there was a large crowd around it. Lots of people. Far too many to sneak past. Peter's face fell. He looked down at Becky and smiled, but she could read him better than anyone. She frowned and squeezed Wish, the care bear. What are we going to do now, Peter? He shook his head. I don't know, Beck. We'll figure out something. Don't worry. His heart was pounding, and he could feel the sweat pooling under his armpits. Their hoodies hid their faces well enough at night, but the sun was high in the sky right now. It would only take one of these people spotting them to start something that they wouldn't come out of well. You said that place was safe? You said the people there could help us? I did. But something must have happened... So, we're gonna to have to find somewhere else to be safe. He took her hand and led her back the way they had come. There! Look! The shout came from the crowd, exactly as he feared it would. He gripped Becky's hand tighter and moved faster. A tumult of voices followed them. Come on! What's happening? How did you not see it? Stop them! Individual voices vanished into a general din. It was getting louder, and he didn't need to look behind to know that the crowd was rushing after them. He picked up his pace into a run, but immediately felt Becky's legs falter. He stopped her from tripping, and in doing so he looked back. It was like a scene from a movie, that instant before the battle when the invading army was charging. faces twisted by anger, by hate, by the lust for the fight. He felt his bladder loosen and his legs tremble. He had to run, to get as far away as he could as fast as he could. First he had to turn back around He had to move his legs He couldn't do that either All he could do was stare Peter! Becky was shouting frantically Peter! She might as well have been standing on the horizon Her voice sounding distant and tiny Even her fists pounding on his chest As she cried his name felt like a memory or a dream All that was real and immediate Was the charging crowd One man broke away at the front of the charge Young With thick, long hair and stubble on his chin, he surged ahead of everyone else at improbable speed. Within seconds, he would have them. He was shouting something, his voice lost amongst the tumult. Run! He heard it as the man was upon them. Run! Why would he be shouting that? Because he wasn't with the mob, Peter realised, as he scooped them both up and carried on running. The impact of the man's arms as he picked them up and the feeling of being shook about snapped him out of his trance. They were getting further away from the crowd. How fast was this man running? Too fast. He turned a corner, spun around back into a dark doorway fast enough to force the door open, then spun again to close the door behind him and put Peter and Becky down. Peter's head spun and he fell to the ground. Becky fell next to him, her lower lip wobbling as she stared up at the man in stunned silence. ''Are you okay?'' Several moments passed before Peter was even able to nod his head in response. Then he nodded a little too vigorously. He was still shaking. The man crouched and put a hand on his arm. Good. He looked at Becky. How about you, sweetheart? You alright? When she nodded just once and slowly, he ran a hand through her hair. Okay, good girl. My name's Miles, by the way. I'm going to make sure you kept safe. Thanks. Peter managed to blurt out. "'I'm Peter and this is my sister, Becky.' He took his sister's hand and gave her a reassuring smile. She smiled back, believing his confidence. But he didn't. Neither his breath nor his heart showed any sign of slowing down anytime soon. "'Get in there!' Miles had hissed at Taylor before he took off sprinting. "'How were they supposed to do that?' Sure, the crowd was on the move, so they weren't being watched now. But that didn't make a way inside the old pub any more obvious.' It was completely boarded up, no signs of life whatsoever, and they had no tools to even begin prying off the boarding. Of course, it was Rowan who was the least daunted by that prospect, and the first to run to the fence, closing off the overgrown back garden. That didn't mean that he managed to get over it, though. After a failed struggle to push himself up, Mio caught up with the lanky white boy and vaulted over, using his shoulders. Sam and Ash weren't quite so gymnastic, but were at least able to get over the fence unaided that left Taylor and Rowan as the last one standing in the front I guess I'm on watch then he said, rolling his eyes Taylor grinned and clapped him on the shoulder before climbing over the fence on the other side she was greeted by a mess of weeds brambles and long grass and it took her several seconds to realise that the others were further into the garden her heart began to slow as she picked her way through the foliage and as she did, tremors ran through her legs it wasn't the crowd and the confrontation that had seen them run off whatever that turned out to be that was nothing compared to some of the fights she'd been in. Especially recently. And even they paled next to the rioting a couple of years earlier. But seeing Tass there. Alive. No. Not alive. A mockery of life. Was something she hadn't expected. Was it even still Tass? Did she wake up from death as the same person but now needing to drink blood and gradually change? Or was that something else inside her body pretending to be her? Miles would know. Tass. Or the task shaped vamp had called him the good one. Was that true? If so, was he the only one? Did she want to know any of this? Hey Maya's fingers clicking in front of her face brought Taylor back to the present. You with us there, girl? Hey, there we go. Sorry. Come on. She walked around to what had been the back door. It had been blocked by a steel covering. She knew because that same covering was lying on its side, next to the door. The door was barred by wooden planks, meant to make it look as though it was still inaccessible, but there was enough room to slip under them, and the door opened inwards at a push. The sentry waiting on the other side had dark skin. The room in which he stood had no lights, so it was only when the sunlight hit him that Taylor realised he wasn't black but a deep shade of blue. Her heart skipped a beat and she jumped at the sight of his scaled skin and luminescent green eyes. He brandished a crowbar at them and snarled Fuck off It's okay She said, hands raised We're not here to hear you I said fuck off Taylor looked around at the others None of them offered her an answer beyond wide eyes and shrugs She sighed Then looked back at the Was man the right word? The demon Look Mate We're not with that mob that was out there Where? Why should I believe you? Because if we were, we didn't exactly have passed lots of difficult barriers to get here. Keeping her hands raised, she ducked under the wooden beams and stepped into the doorway. The crowbar was thrust in her direction more pointedly, but he didn't try to hit her with it, and in fact took several steps back. But there are four of us here instead of 400, and we're asking to come in rather than barging in. All of them now stood inside what had once been a large kitchen, dust layered over the sheets covering the worktops and equipment. The demon now appeared smaller than he had, about the same height as Sam, rather than towering over Rowan. Taylor could see the fear and uncertainty in his eyes as he lowered the crowbar. "'Stay here,' he said, before hurrying off into another room. "'What do we do now?' Ash whispered at her, voice trembling. He panicked far too easily, that boy although whether the white blonde tips of his ridiculously pointy hair looked right could be as much of a crisis for him as whether they could get hurt being in an abandoned pub full of demons. Admittedly, in the latter case, the worry was a fair one. You can't exactly sneak them out of here, into somewhere safe without anybody noticing. The Guild can. And we're down with that. We're part of this secret society thing now? Taylor hadn't really thought about it. She frowned. Why not? They do what we do. We kill vamps, Mayo said. They work with one. He... The words took her by surprise, even as she said them. He seems okay. Mayo didn't say anything. The look on her face, raised eyebrows, followed by a turn of the head, and the frown was enough. The blue-skinned man returned with two other people. One was a woman, the same skin and eyes as him, while the other was a man who looked almost ordinary, white, Maybe a bit too pink, but nothing you'd notice. Not until you looked closer and noticed the fine mesh of scales that covered his face and the tiny thorns poking through his eyebrows and beard. Why are you here? The one with the thorny beard asked. To get you somewhere safe. The man continued to writhe and kick as the vampire carried him into the centre of the room. They dumped him onto the ground unceremoniously, and then Christoph stepped forward to rip the sack off his head. He had wavy black hair framing a dark face and piercing brown eyes, which to his credit were filled with hatred rather than fear. Tass wasn't the only one staring. The conversations and card games had stopped. Those sleeping had been kicked awake, and those working out had been dragged back into the main room. The building they had moved to after the champion had found their previous nest and killed Nat was a nightclub before it had shut down. Three stories high, walls sharp black, and all the old finishing stripped out. It was bigger than the old factory, all the better to accommodate the vampire's swelling numbers. There were so many of them now. I guess, she'd have said over 200, and pretty much everyone was watching as Christoph examined the prisoner. He held a file in his hand, and from it he drew out a sketch which he held up next to the captive's face before scrutinising them both. "'Will he do, boss?' One of the vampires who had carried him in asked. A final look, then Christoph nodded. "'Yes.' Go on. A dismissive wave of his hand saw the man's face covered again before he was lifted and carried away. He looked up at the gathered crowd. This really isn't that entertaining. His tone was light, but enough for everyone to disperse. As tapped Brian Tass on the shoulder and gestured with his head, they followed him from the main room and into a large-ish storage room. There were shelves to one side of the room, but no windows, so that the only light came from a single bare bulb. In the corner, A couple and their child were huddled against the wall. The child was crying, and the man trembled as he hugged his family. A corpse lay in front of them, a bloody wound on its neck. "'That's the third one now,' Gaz said. "'People aren't that diverse in their looks, "'so I reckon he'll have all ten by the end of the month.' "'You say that like it's a bad thing?' Bryce said. "'Gaz shrugged. He looked at Tass. "'What became of the demons?' Gil got them out in the end. I figured they might. From experience, angry mobs aren't all that if you know what you're doing. What do we care anyway? We don't care. Not about the lives of poor persecuted innocents anyway. He glanced down at the corpse. He's taking his bloody time. Happens. I knew a guy who took a day and a half once, Bryce said. Yeah, but I can't be asked waiting all night. "'I'm sure it won't be long now,' Tass said. "'The man in the corner was watching Gaz surreptitiously "'and trying to disguise the fact. "'Gaz caught his gaze and stared until he lowered his head. "'What I don't understand is why we're stuck doing this,' Bryce said. "'I mean, yeah, build numbers, build strength, yada yada, "'but the Guild are doing the same right now, "'so why aren't we stopping it, taking the fight to them?' "'How?' Gaz asked. "'What?' "'Think about it.' They're trained warriors, armed and skilled. We're spending all our time building up numbers. But how much of that work would be undone in a direct attack on the guild? How many would die? That's war, meat. We're going into a war. The war? There'll be casualties. Gaz shook his head. Not that many. We're too used to being animals and hunters, overpowering individuals or small groups of frightened prey, seducing victims by playing up to the shitty fucking romantic stereotypes about our kind, "'hiding in the shadows. "'We need to learn to be soldiers and warriors.' "'The corpse stared and groaned. "'He pushed himself off the ground and growled, fangs bared. "'The family saw him and screamed. "'The man stood up, ran and grabbed a loose piece of wood "'that was sitting on one of the shelves "'before scurrying back to the family. "'The new vampire growled at him. "'Ooh, a fighter?' Bryce said. "'This should be interesting.' "'My other concern is the demons,' Gas said. The new vampire lunged at the man. He dodged, bashed him on the head and forced him to the ground with the weapon against his chest. The demons are on our side, Bryce said. Oh, come on, that's embarrassing. The vampire clocked the man on the side of the forehead. He went sprawling to the floor. When the creature jumped on top of him, he shoved the wood in its mouth to keep the fangs away. Well, that brings me back to our interest in the demon the guild rescued. Kill across demons are fanatics. They looked down on lesser demons and despised humans and half-breeds. What exactly do you think we are? The man had two clawed hands at his neck and was struggling for air. His arms weakened and he fumbled the table leg, dropping it. That was all the vampire needed. As he fed, the woman and the child cried, knowing their turn would be soon. You think the demons will turn on us once this war is won? Tass asked. Let's just say I don't want to deplete our forces anytime soon. And it's always handy if your enemy's enemies are still around. Gaz glanced over at the scene of the kill. Anyone fancy leftovers? Chapter Seventeen. Jess hadn't been lying about his strengths. Hazel's top was soaked through with sweat, and she was breathing heavily. She crouched to one knee and held her hand up. Jess dropped into a sitting position on the crash mats. She was also drenched in sweat and out of breath. Old Jerk a kick it ass, Jess said. "'Fuck off!' Hazel pushed herself back to her feet. "'That was a draw, at best.' "'Yes,' grinned. "'Sure, whatever. I'm guessing vamps and demons and all that are martial artists. "'You can tell. It's made you over-reliant on your strength, which—' "'She rubbed her side where Hazel landed a clean blow during the fight. "'It's impressive, but it doesn't make you indestructible. "'I know that!' Hazel crossed her arms over her chest, frowning. You sound like you're the one who's been training to be a sentinel half your life. Nah. Jess pushed to her feet with a grunt. Let's just say I've got experience of having to fight off people a lot stronger than me. Her eyes flicked to the ground, but only for a second. Anyway, I gotta ask. What's your problem with Miles? What? I'm not looking for a scrap, I'm just curious. He's a vampire? You don't say. Jess wandered over to the table in the corner of the gym and picked her pack of cigarettes off the top. That's not it, though. The others got over that fact pretty fast. So what is it? Hazel followed her down in the lift and outside. Jess lit up and started smoking, her eyes on Hazel the whole time. Hazel avoided her gaze. She felt Jess's hand on her shoulder. Don't worry, it's not important. Hazel took a deep breath. When I was 14, I went through that whole phase where I hated everyone and the world was against me. Except, in my case it was true because I'd not long found out what my dad did for a living and what I'd have to do one day. safe to say I didn't take it all that well. I refused to train, sacked off school and eventually ran away from home. Let me guess, there was a lad? His name was Dean, he was about 16 and he had the dreamiest eyes. Hazel laughed. I didn't tell him what was going on exactly but he was so understanding told me that I didn't deserve to be treated like that and he'd look after me it was bollocks complete and utter but apparently at that age between the hormones and everything going on at home I was a moron he turned out to be a scumbag vampire Hazel shook her head at the memory worst bit is, he told me once we were shacked up in this god awful block of flats and my parents were going out to the mines with worry he told me and offered to make me like him so that our love could last forever so what did you do? Hazel pulled down her top to reveal a scar along her collarbone. It had healed up years ago, but the impressions of teeth were still clear. She saw Jess's eyes widen, then adjusted her top and covered the scar up again. I was messed up enough to let him. I dunno. The ultimate insult to the destiny my dad was trying to impose on me, or something. But then a hand grabbed him by the hair and yanked his head back, seconds before a machete cleaved his head from his shoulders. I've never since seen the bloke who did it, and Word never got back to my dad, so I don't know his story. All I remember is the look of disgust he gave me when he told me to run home to my family. Jess took a last drag of a cigarette and chucked it down the drain. Ah, so you were a knobhead? Happens to the best of us. But Miles isn't Dean. I know, it's just, don't worry, I think I get it. Just try and go easy on him, okay? After Hazel nodded, Jess smiled. Good. Now how about round two? If you can take it, I mean. Lydia's legs were shaky as she passed through the heavy steel door, the barely man behind it giving her a sideways glance, as she did, and into the darkened room beyond. Her heart wouldn't slow down, and it was a labour to keep her breath even. She'd frequented more than her fair share of nights like this. The fast-paced electro-goth music was exactly her kind of music, and while Hazel was effectively in costume for the night, Lydia had just done herself up for a night out. But she wasn't just here for a night out she wasn't daunted by the prospect of a few drinks and perhaps dragging home a bloke who may or may not turn out to be a swamp dweller in the cold light of day but now she had miles she didn't need any of that jess took her hand as she approached the bar you all right chick i don't know if i'm ready for this lydia said with a shake of her head i mean you and hazel are both trained i don't think i could win a calf fight let alone slay a vampire you won't have to We're just observing tonight, getting our bearings. And if anything does go wrong, then me and Hayes can handle it. You and Katie are supposed to stay out of it. She looked over at the other woman, just as comfortable dressed up for this kind of venue as Lydia, and yet more noticeably nervous of her surroundings, continually casting about as if expecting at any moment to see an unwelcome face. Perhaps that was what surviving a vampire did to you, but she had survived, and for that Lydia couldn't help but hate her just a little. She shouldn't have, of course, but there it was. Katie was here when Michelle and Paddy weren't, when Miles Strictly shouldn't have been either, and yet she was the one who had caught to death. What are you having to drink, anyway? Jess asked. A lot. Jess laughed and kissed her on the forehead before leaning over to the bar to order drinks. You really think we're going to find real vampires in here? Lydia asked Hazel. She gestured to a few of the people wearing frilly shirts or leather bondage pants with fake fangs. Among this lot? What better place to find willing victims? Hazel said. Sure, but I don't think the ones who were attacking us were too bothered about whether their victims were willing. They also didn't seem the type to play dress up. You'd be surprised at what people are into. Would I? Hazel replied with a wink before taking the bottle of beer that Jess offered Come on, you're going to tell me more? Hazel shook her head. Not after just one beer. Now let's dance. Several drinks later, Lydia's head was swimming. Everything felt nice and fuzzy. A little bit blurry. And the tremors in her legs had stopped. Dare she say that she was enjoying herself? Yeah. Why not? Why shouldn't she enjoy herself? When Katie's hand touched her shoulder, she flinched away from her touch. Sorry, Katie said. Are you okay? Why are we here? She screwed her face up in confusion. To... Vampires? So you can shag them? She stopped herself from saying it, but it was hard. Hazel had rescued her, sure, but she'd still gone with the creature voluntarily. She would embraced the fate that had forced itself on Michelle, Paddy, and Miles, yet she had come out of it alive. It didn't seem fair. No, it wasn't fair. We're not having much luck, she said finally. Hazel leaned in close and nudged them both. Sure, we are. He said, gesturing towards the bar. Following her line of sight, Lydia saw a woman wearing a dark brown leather overcoat. She had purple hair tied back in her ponytail, and her skin was a ghostly white and her pupils were red. She looks like a vampire, Lydia said. I thought they weren't supposed to. Anywhere else, no. So what now? Watch and wait, Hazel said. It might be a long night. A young man, black shirt ill-fitted to his big belly, came out of the toilet and bumped into the door frame before staggering towards the dance floor. There was a wet patch on his trousers, a red mark on his neck and a grin on his face. About half a minute later, the vampire with the purple hair followed, still wiping her mouth. Ew, Lydia said. I mean, okay, she needs blood to live or whatever, but I have some standards, love. Yes, yeah, smirked. Neither of us can really judge, chick. I guess not. How much longer do we have to watch this go on for, anyway? What's that now, six guys? Seven, Hazel said. A glance at her phone told her it was just after two, though once they had stopped drinking, the time it dragged so that she felt it should have been closer to five in the morning. Hopefully, that should save her for the night, so we can get down to business soon. Soon turned out to be another hour, though in that time the vampire didn't take anybody else into the toilets. She spent the time by the bar talking to a boy who couldn't have been much older than 18, if he was even that. Even as she took him by the hand and led him out of the club, he had a wide-eyed look on his face, as though he was as scared of what he thought was going to happen as he should have been of what was actually going to happen. Hazel looked at Katie and Lydia. You two had best get home. But we want to help, Katie said. Lydia looked less certain, though she nodded. Let us come with now. When they pulled faces she pointed, don't argue, please, we need to follow now, so you need to get home. That appeared to be the end of it, they all left Sanguine and Lydia and Katie dutifully went the opposite way to Hazel and Jess, who followed the vampire and her prey. She was still leading the boy by the hand, though it was easy enough to follow at a distance. It didn't take long for the brighter lights to fall away, and for the darkness of the night to reassert itself. Black skies, black windows, empty streets. The din of music and conversation became a distant whisper under the whistling of the night wind. Why's this lad get taken home? Yes, asked. Surely she's already full. Probably going to feed the nest. There'll be a lot more of them there who rely on this one and several others to bring food in. Seems like a pretty efficient arrangement. Probably minimal chance of the victims being missed if they pick right two. Or if they are missed, there's no trace of them, and nothing to link it to vamps. What would their parents have done if Hazel had disappeared? If that hunter had never appeared to kill Dean, she would be a vampire now, and they might never know. She shook her head. Katie was lucky. I mean, really lucky. Most people in her situation... Jeff's hand was warm on her shoulder. That's on these fuckers, not you, yeah? When Edel nodded, she went on. Good. Needless guilt won't solve anything, and if I'm not mistaken, where are you? The houses were large here, Georgian buildings three stories high, but mostly in disrepair, with their gates rusted and gardens overgrown. There were lights on in a couple, the sound of music and stone chatter within. Cheap student digs in what had been high-end houses a century or so ago, but many more were utterly empty, boarded up and hollowed out. It was one of these that the vampire stopped outside. The boy looked at it with some uncertainty. No matter how drunk he was, how enraptured he was with his apparent conquest, he had to realise that this wasn't right. Hazel and Jess were still too far away to hear what he said, but he appeared to protest. That was when the vampire clocked him on the jaw, and he dropped straight to the ground. Like a sack of spuds, Hazel's dad would have said, though he didn't appear to weigh anything when the vampire flung him over her shoulder and marched up the garden path. No words passed between Hazel and Jess, but at once they had both picked up their pace and had a hand on the hilts of their concealed blades. There was no way to conceal a full-length sword in their current clothing, but each had a dagger almost as long as their forearm about their person, which would more than suffice in the circumstances. Hazel leapt over the gate into the garden and stalked carefully towards the front door, Despite them both being silent, she was aware of Jess's presence just behind her. There was no gap between the houses on either side, so their best bet was just to go in and deal with the fallout the best they could. It would be best if they had some elements of surprise, but how could they get past the door without simply kicking it in? Jess moved past her and slowly pushed the door open. When she turned and caught what must have been a look of surprise on Hazel's face, she mouthed, It's a squat. They shared a rag rim before moving inside. The door creaked as they opened it, and then closed behind them, but it was lost in the shouting that erupted from the living room. ''What do you mean, is Daddy?'' you ungrateful knob, a female voice, possibly the one they had followed. A deep, growling male voice answered There. ''It's hardly going to feed all of us. This scrawny thing?'' ''Mac, come on.'' Another male voice, quieter and trying to be more reasoned, ''What? She needs to know. How many hours have we waited?'' And this is the result? Pile of fucking shite, I'd say. If Mac had been about to launch into a tirade, it was cut off by what sounded like a slap. Stop whining, dickhead, the woman said. I'd say you go next time if you think you can do better, but that's not how it works, is it? You know our arrangement. Momentary pause. So shut your cake hole and either dig in or fuck off. Hazel shared a quick look with Jess. They had to act now if they were to save the boy. Gess nodded in silence understanding, and they both moved closer to the living room door. Deep breaths, while keeping eye contact, then Hazel drew her blade and leapt into the room. The first thing she saw was a vampire standing close by, with his back to her, so she grabbed his hair and dragged the dagger through his neck. She was still holding onto the head as the body fell, and now she had the attention of the entire room. There were eight vampires left, so perhaps Mac had a point about the boy not being enough to feed them all. The boy was laid out on a threadbare old couch, the woman standing in front of him facing a barely big-bellied vampire with thick beard and bald head who had to be Mac, a much thinner man with scraggly hair stood next to him while the others were a little way back from him. The room they occupied was bare, with rotten peeling walls, the higher parts thick with damp and the scene lit only by candles on a broken mantelpiece. When the woman nearest Hazel lunged at her, she was caught in the neck by Jess, the blade stabbed through the throat spraying blood everywhere, and getting stuck there. But before Hazel could react to that, the whole room was making for them. It wasn't a very big space, which played to their advantage. She threw the severed head at the nearest vampire, who recoiled when it hit him in the face. A high kick to the chest sent him sprawling into a couple of others. Max's scrawny friend was then closest to her, but easily defeated with a kick to the shin and then an upward swing of her blade. It took him through the chin rather than the neck but it did the trick as far as removing the head from the body. The purple-haired vampire stepped away. Mac sprung forward, fast despite his size, and threw a fist at her head. As she ducked and swept his legs, she caught a glimpse of Jess dropping the scrawny vampire with a succession of fast, precise blows. Then Hazel was on top of Mac, driving his sword through his thick neck. It bounced back as it hit the floor underneath him, but she was prepared and steadied it while standing back up. A hand grabbed her leg then went still. Looking back, she saw Jess kick the vampire's head away. They were all dead now, except for the woman with the purple hair. Hazel inclined her head. Not bad? Awesome, you mean, Jess said with a grin. Hazel rolled her eyes, but found herself smiling. So what about her? The purple-haired vampire was leaning against the wall, hands raised as if to show she wasn't a threat. I'd surrender? Hazel and Jess closed in on either side of her, blades raised. Really? Hazel raised an eyebrow, then glanced briefly at Jess. Oh, come on, the vampire chuckled. Tonight wasn't the first night you were at Sanguine, although last time you were interrupted by that whole wolf business. You're not just here for the boy, are you? A pause. Sentinel. Hazel frowned. She sheathed her blade and gestured for Jess to do the same. You know who I am? I know what you are. Your identity screams to my senses as mine does to yours. Hate to break your tea, love, but you can't blend in among other humans. And yet you let us follow you here, Jess said. The vampire nodded. As I was instructed, yeah. After several moments pause, Jess said, You've got the floor, love. Don't be shy. You're looking for a certain group of vamps who have given themselves quite a high profile lately. Public kills, kidnapping a guild member, the wolf thing and nightly sirens to build up the numbers. That last was news to Hazel, but she didn't let it show on her face. I was tasked with making sure you knew that we're not part of it. She glanced around at the bodies. Well, not anymore, certainly. I'm not talking about these weak and ungrateful creatures who were so dependent on me. There was a look of scorn on the vampire's face as she spoke. You really think a bunch of squatters are responsible for arrangements such as Sanguine? Please. But we're not affiliated with the group you seek. So you're a different threat? Okay. We're no threat. We keep to ourselves, we feed discreetly, and we consent. Killings are... Their eyes flick to the unconscious youth on the couch. Rare. We're the reason vampires have not troubled the guild for so many centuries. And we have every desire to return to that status quo. As should you. Since if given no choice, we would be more than you can handle. Jess clenched her fists. You reckon? Hazel raised a hand, caution her against doing anything. The vampire was overly confident, given that she was outnumbered and sure to die if they so wished it. She also had a significant advantage over them in terms of knowledge, and yet hadn't even tipped her hand to prevent the slaughter of this nest. Something was up. Okay, Hazel said. So you're not part of the group we're looking for. You have to know there's simply a saying that isn't enough. I do. The vampire let the silence drag out for several long seconds. That's why I'm going to tell you what they're planning and where they're going to do it. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this and want more, then you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, aka Black and Red, or search for From the Hill of Megado on your favourite podcast service. Next week, we'll be going into chapters 18 through 20 as the guild finally confronts the vampires trying to bring about the end of the world. See you then.